all of you. And we're, uh, we're wrapping up our series today on, on the series called Killing It. And I hope you've been killing it the last few weeks. Uh, and you have one more opportunity to kill it uh, this week coming up. And, and uh, if you missed any part of our series, you can go to our, our website. And I highly recommend that you watch today's lesson a couple of times because we're going to need it. I, I have to. I have to give it twice on Sunday and then I have to watch it during the week because I critique myself. Okay, so join me in, you know, how I do that. But you can go. And also there's uh, questions about today's lesson. And what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, and today is week four, we're talking about pride. And we're talking about the kind of pride that you don't take in your job and in your children. We're talking about the ugly, nasty pride that comes out of us when we compare ourselves with others, and we love it when people fail, we love when people fall on their face around us. In fact, some of you guys were laughing a little too much in the, when the guy when the skateboard fell down. I, I kind of wonder about you, uh, your sense of humor. Uh, but, you know, we're all like that. But, you know, it's, it's something inside of us that we're not proud of. It, it, we're embarrassed of it. We try to hide it, but it's there. And what we've talked about for the last week is pride is so catastrophic, it has the potential to destroy the things, ruin the things that we love, in particular our relationships. What does pride do? It shuts you in while shutting God and others out. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the different kinds of pride, and last week we looked at this. How do we deal with this whole idea of we want applause, we want to be known? And we looked at these two ideas that Remember who it's from, meaning when we get anything good that, that we get lifted up or things are going well, we remember who it's from, and then we remember who it's for. Okay, what do I, what do I have this blessing for? And then the last thing is we can, we can only receive what is given to us from heaven, and we got this from John the Baptist. Uh, realizing, hey, there's an ebb and flow in life. There's highs and there's lows. And I don't know where you are now, but remember, if you're on your A game, tomorrow might not be that. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta deal with that. So today we're gonna talk about a particular group of people, and that is pride within the church. And if you're a guest here today, you go, well, I'm not even a member. I'm not sure I should be here. No, no, you're gonna love today because you get to listen in on the conversation. And all of us love to do that. We love to overhear conversations, you know, at the next table and the diner and the husband and wife are having a conversation that's a little, uh, and you love to listen, don't you? And you're probably going to resonate with some of this stuff because maybe that's one of the reasons why you left church or you don't go to church is some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So today is in particular for our members, and if you're a guest here today, you get the privilege to see what's behind the curtain. People always want to ask me, what's behind the curtain? Well, today you're going to know what's behind the curtain. Not that curtain, but our curtain. Okay, and we're going to talk about pride in the church. I've been working uh, for the church, a part of the church, for 30 years. I have seen everything, and not just here in the United States. I've seen it in, in Central America, South America. I've seen worldwide problems. I've traveled to try to help people with their situations in their church. Let me tell you, just because it's a church doesn't mean everything is going to be fine. In fact, in churches, things can get really ugly. And there can be problems in church. There can be needs in church. 
And some of you are shaking your head. And there probably needs, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say it, there are needs in our church today, and we've got to address those needs as it pertains to pride. What, what creates pride in church? And this is what Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3. He said this because he knows, he understands. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. See, here's the problem with, with church is we bring our old life into this new life that God is trying to give us. And some of that old life leaks its way into the church in the form of pride, in the form of these ugly words, selfish ambition and vain conceit. Or we deal with it for a period of time in our lives, and guess what? It comes, it comes slither, slithering back into our lives, and we're not even aware of it. And like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you can sprout pride in a second in somebody else. But you can be oblivious to it in your own life. And so today we're going to look at a letter. And interestingly enough, it's, been, it's already been mentioned, but pride within the church, if we could bring this just a little smaller. Pride within the church. Why is there pride within the church? Because people have different gifts in the church. And those differences can elevate some and make some feel like I'm not worthy. Or backgrounds, we have different backgrounds. I mean, look around the room, ages, races, you know, all kinds of different backgrounds that you've had, life experiences. Those differences we can, can create separation. And then number three, what's going on in our life right now can separate us. I'm going through something nobody understands right now in my life. You don't get me. And, and, and teens, you guys know what I'm talking about when you look at your parents, right? And you say to them, you don't get me, right? You don't understand what I'm going through. See, that's what creates the pride within the church and even within families. And then this last one is the haves and the have-nots. There's people who have a lot in church. Blessings, gifts, They've been, they've been taken care of, and there's other people that are not. They're hurting. You heard it this morning. And how do you deal with that tension? How do you deal with all these differences that we have in the church? It can create pride, and even pride in a way that you and I aren't even aware of it, because sometimes pride can, can, can mask itself in a way you think, well, that's not pride. Oh, yes, it is. So today we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul. And then, the, just the fact that we're going to be reading from the Apostle Paul is amazing. Do you know why? Because Paul was a church hater. He hated the church. He wanted to kill Christians. He was out to arrest, imprison chill, uh, Christians, women, men, women, and children. It didn't matter. He hated the church. But then something happened significant in his life that changed everything. If you want evidence of Christianity's true, just look at this example of the Apostle Paul. How do you explain a church hater, murderer, and to one of the founding fathers of our church? And then he became a church protector, a church fighter, gave his life for the church. I mean, how do you explain that? So we're going to be listening to him, and he's got something to say. And we're going to be listening from the church in Corinth. Interestingly enough, Dan, without any coordinating, mentioning, he mentioned the same chapter and verses that we're going to be looking at. We're going to unpack those today really, really well today because it's exactly what we're talking about. The church in Corinth 
had a lot of problems. If you think our church has got problems, spend a little time in the book of, in the, in the letter that Paul wrote to the first, the first one that he wrote to the church in Corinth. We're talking a church full, full of problems. It was a mess. I would have a hard time being a member of the church in Corinth, just so I'm honest. It kind of reminds me of our church in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, it was a messy, messy church because you got people coming from a background you have no idea. You think it's bad in L.A. It was, it was, and we dealt with all kinds of stuff. I was like, really, this is the church of Jesus Christ? And some of you maybe have a background from Midwestern church. That's not the church in Corinth. This was a messy church. And Paul writes a letter to them to address some of these problems that were going on in the church. So we're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 12, and here he begins. He says, just as the body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. What Paul is trying to get us to wrap our minds around is the local church is equal to the physical body of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to see. And just as a body has many parts, guess what? We form parts of the body. And so that is what he's trying to say. And here's the incredible thing too. Our bodies are able to accomplish, all the parts working together can accomplish incredible things. Guess what? This spiritual body, when everybody's working together, can, in, can do incredible things when we work together. When we understand this concept. And so... God has great plans for us. He goes on in verse 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slaves, or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. So how do you become a member of the body of Christ? Do you fill out an application? Do you sit before the board of trustees and say, will you accept me into your institution? No. Because it's a spiritual organism the only way to get into the body of Christ is by spiritual means and he mentions it here when you are baptized meaning and it's not a just a physical act it's a spiritual act when you believe in Jesus Christ and make him your Lord and Savior and you realize my sins put him on the cross and you repent of all those things that you've done. You say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to live that life anymore. And from now on, Jesus is going to be my leader and my Savior and my Lord. And I profess him as such. And then you get baptized in the name of Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, not in the water, but in the actual vehicle that God has chosen, baptism. You get your sins forgiven and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's for everybody who chooses to do that. Everybody. And so that's how you get in. And look at the church. He says, whether you're Jew or Gentile, no matter what your background, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Verse 14, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And look around. And this is only one of our three services. We've got another service at 1230 with uh, the Latin ministry, the Spanish-speaking ministry. 
and they're a part of our, our body. And then at 5.30, we've got our college students and our singles. And here's the point that Paul is trying to make for all of us. Everybody in the church, whether young or old, everybody is somebody because we're all in this together. That's what you need to take away from today. And if you're a guest here today, it's not just about attending once in a while on Easter and Christmas. This is about a participation together in something powerful that God wants to do through us together, working together, praying together, and, and giving, using our gifts. Okay, so now he gets into this part. He uses a little bit of comedy. There's no other way to explain it. It's, it's funny. Okay, now he's going to use a little bit of funny business in verse 15. Some of you think guys think that they didn't use comedy in the, church, in the Bible. They did, okay, because there's no way to explain this. Because it's funny. Now, the, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Now, let's just look at this. There's a comparison here, okay? You got a hand and you got a foot. How many of you are wearing shoes today? Most of you, I hope. Why do you cover your feet? Okay, and then when we sing, some of you, some of you, when you sing, what do you do? You raise your hands. Okay, I want you to imagine the next time we come to church, you're going to raise your feet right? You wouldn't do that. Maybe in the children's ministry you, you might, but not here. Why? And we hide our feet. You know why we hide our feet? Because our feet are nasty. Okay? Number one, they stink. Don't say your feet don't stink, because they do. Some stink more than others. I went online. I wanted to show you guys a picture of some feet, but I said, I'm not going to do that to you. Okay? I said, maybe I show a, a picture of a foot. A foot is a nasty thing. Okay? There's some gnarly feet out there. I do not have pretty feet. I got to just say that. I played a lot of basketball in, in high school and in college, and my feet are a mess. And I do not like to walk around in flip-flops, proud of my feet. There's a lot of famous people who are pretty up here, but man, if you saw a picture of their feet, you go, wow. The, the, the toes are like this, okay? So clearly, which is, the more, which is the more showy part of the body, hand or foot? Hand is. Hand's awesome, isn't it? What you can do with your hand, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do with your hand, but do you know that you have like 200 muscles in your feet? that get you from one place to the other? Your feet are amazing. I have a close friend who was having problems with his muscles and his feet, and he couldn't keep his balance. He was having trouble walking. It would make him dizzy and disoriented, all because of his feet. Truth of the matter is, you and I take for granted our feet. And Paul's making a point here. There's a problem. There's a There's a superiority complex with the hand because he knows he thinks he's the more showy person of part of the body than the inferiority, inferiority, inferiority complex, sorry, inferiority complex of the foot because he clearly knows he's not as important. He gets covered up. 
He's always on the bottom. You know, he's got he's to walk through the mud and the, and, the, and the nastiness to get from one place to another. In the body of Christ, there are differences among us. Some of us are hands and some of us are what? You said it, not me. Some of your feet. Okay, it's just, that's how it is. How are these two supposed to interact together? And, and just because there's a difference doesn't mean there's a reason to stop being part of the body. Let me just tell you, he's saying this for a reason. There are people who have stopped being a part of the body of Christ because they feel inferior. And you heard it this morning. Many people leave church because they're going through a hard time. And meanwhile, the superiority people that have that complex, they don't miss them a bit because they are just lavishing in the spotlight. And that's a problem. But here's the thing about inferiority complex. It's, it's, it's a little deceiving because you think, which one has more of a struggle with pride? The hand or the foot? You'd say the hand, right? Because he's got the superiority complex, but the foot, the inferiority complex, doesn't have as much of a problem with pride. Let me read you a quote from Timothy Keller. He, he writes in his book, uh, The King's Cross, in the Gospel of Mark, he says, look at, look at the difference. When somebody feels an inferiority complex, they say the words like, I'm unworthy. Sometimes the function is not a plea for deliverance, but from pride. There are two ways to fail to let Jesus be your Savior. One is to be too proud, having a superiority complex, and not accepting his challenge or your need for him. I don't need Jesus. But the other, though an inferiority complex, being so self-absorbed that you say, I'm just so awful that God can't love me, that is not to accept Jesus' offer to be forgiven. Keller goes on to quote from John Newton's letter, a very depressing correspondent. He says, you, are, you say you're feeling overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness. Well, you can't be too aware of the inward and inbred evils you complain of, but you may be indeed, if you are, improperly controlled and affected by them. You say it is hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You then not only express a low opinion of yourself, which is right, because we all fall short, but also too low of an opinion of the person, work, and, promin and the promises of the Redeemer, which is God and our Savior. See, you've brought him to your level. You're saying he can't save you. In other words, your condition is so severe, you're so bad, you're so inferior, you're so inferior, God can't use you, help you, you're worthless. You've elevated your condition. That's a form of pride. That's what Timothy's getting to. You complain about your sin, but when we examine your complaints, they are so full of self-righteousness, unbelief, pride, impatience, they are a little better than the worst evils you complain of. And it's the truth. 
It's just, it's just characterized differently. And that's what Paul's talking about. So you got these two people. He goes on and he makes another comparison. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Now let's just look at these two body parts. Two eyes, two ears. Where are the eyes? They're up front. Do you realize that the eyes are one of the, the marvels that, that you cannot explain how we evolved, how an eye just evolved from a single cell organism. It is so complex what the eye does. It is, once again, evidence and testimony of a divine designer, God, who created us because our eyes are so amazing. You look into the person that you love's eyes, don't you? You look deep into her eyes or his eyes, don't you? Right? Do you look deeply into their ear? <laughs> if you do, you probably say what your mom did, you need to clean that. And some of us, as we get older, our ears get uglier because hair starts to <laughs> rise from within the ear. Right? You guys get what I'm saying? <laughs> Eyes are amazing, what we get to see. And, and, but our ears are equally amazing. They're ugly, but they're amazing. And so we cover them up with our hair or with a hat or something or a hoodie or whatever. You know, but could you imagine the ear saying, because I'm not an eye for that reason, I'm out. I'm not going to serve in the church. I'm not going to give in the church because I'm not an I. And he goes on, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, and imagine that rolling around, I mean, that'd be kind of nasty, wouldn't it? If your whole body were an eye? Let me give you a hug. No, I don't want to do that. It's nasty, Right? gooey, sticky eye. Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, we need everybody. That's what Paul's trying to say, and there's going to be differences. Verse 18, but in fact, and, and, and Dan quoted it this morning, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Not as you wanted to be, but as he wanted them to be. But I want to be an eye. I want to be a hand. Careful what you ask for. Because there's a long time I spent, I wanted to be a hand too. And then God answered my, my request. I got to be a hand, then I said, now I want to be a foot. I don't want to be an eye, I want to be an ear. I just want to be in the background because this is messy. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. Okay? It's hard. It's messy. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of pain. You know? But, but God, and this is what we have to accept is, what does God want versus what I want? And if you're a member of this church, this is the question that I want you to ask yourself is, are you where God wants you to be? I'm still wrestling with that today. 
Because as you get older, you ask that question, but I know what I want, but I always have to go, God, what do you want? What's your desire for my life? We all got our agenda, and this is what, and we have to be trusting and surrendered to the, the fact that God has us where he wants us, and if he gives us an opportunity, we'll do more if he wants. He goes on in verse 20. If they were all one part, where would the body be as it is? There are many parts, but how many bodies? Now, let's talk about this because I know where some of us can go with this whole concept of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a lot of places, not just here. But understand this, you were born into one body. And that body you have a responsibility to because you were born into those relationships. And I realize there are many spiritual bodies all over the greater Los Angeles area. And God knows who his children are. But you need to plant your feet and your eyes and your hands and your, your whole body in one place and figure out what is God, God's will for me here. Okay, because this is where we've been born. There's many times, guys, where I've asked myself, I don't know if I want to be here. And I've been in some ugly situations as a leader, as a church leader. And I've said, God, I don't want to be here. I'm not saying about here, here. I'm saying earlier, years ago. Okay? Love being here. But I've been there. But I had to surrender it. God, where do you, where do you want me? Because if I go off the rails and go where I want to go, guess what I do in the meantime? I sell short what God is going to do through me and through us, whoever I'm going to work with. Had her sister come up to me uh, a little over a week ago, and she shared with me a vision that she had. She says, uh, I have some visions and some dreams and things that I want to do with my life and with us. And she said, if we don't do it together, then I'm not going to be able to fulfill what I want to see happen. And we're not going to be able to fulfill what we want to see happen. What she was saying is, we can't do this unless we do it together. And I went, wow, that's powerful. I got I to I take a knee to that. Verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. So let's get a little bit more graphic, okay, here. The, the eye can't say to the hand... Okay, you ready for this? I don't think you are. Okay, the eye. Oh, I lost my eyes. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Okay, the head can't say to the eye, I don't need you. You think about what I'm saying. I don't need you. Who would say that? Who would say that? What a hateful thing to say. I don't need you. What would cause someone to say and throw away a part of their body? What would cause somebody to do that? What would cause somebody to say, I don't need you? 
or to think or to think I am not needed. You tell me, what would cause somebody to say that or to think that? Pride. Plain and simple. Pride. See, I got this. I don't need you. You're not important. Or you don't need me, which is the inferiority complex. I'm not needed here. You can find that out one of two ways, by listening to what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul, or you can do it the hard way and walk away, which happens so many times, I can't even tell you how many people have walked away from the church and suffered the consequences. And you guys know this, even ministers. I know ministers, guys that were side by side with me, they walked away because they said, I don't need this. And their lives were a disaster. Their families were a disaster. And I guess they figured it out the hard way. Oh, I guess they did need it. See, this is, this is where pride can take us. We throw away vital parts of God's plan and what God wants to do. On the contrary, and this is what Dan shared, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Who's he talking about? You want to know? Children. In this culture, children were not elevated. They were pushed out. My mom shared with this with me in her culture a couple of generations back. She had a motto in her family, children are to be seen and not heard. So if you're a child and you walk in the room, you be quiet, you say hi, and you leave. That's how it was, and that's how it was then. Children were not what they are now. But I think today you've got to ask yourself, do we really care about children? And, and then any, any part that's weaker, and Dan shared about it, I mean, families in need, families that are hurting, do we care about them? Does our heart go out to them? Do we elevate them? Do we try to help them and minister to them? They're indispensable. And the parts that are honorable, they don't need any special honor. He goes on to say that. And the parts that are un unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts don't need any special treatment. But everybody loves special treatment, don't they? Don't we? But there are parts of the body that need special treatment. And, and we got to think about that, and we got to ask those questions, those hard questions. But God has put the whole body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that it should be no division in the body. What creates division in the body? Plain and simple, pride. Pride does. And guess what? You have it. I have it, and we got to kill it. And the only way we're going to stop division in the church, in whatever form, there can be division in small groups, there can be division in, in ministries, there can be divisions among our elders. You got, you know, Dave and, 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 and Joe here, they, they can be divided amongst our ministers. There can be, where there is pride, guess what there will be? Absolutely. And so why do we have to kill pride in the church? Our pride, your pride, my pride, 
so that we can be one body and we can fulfill what God has planned for us, working together, working together in how we do this. We read on in verse 25, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, I want to say in our church, we do a great job of helping people who are hurting and going through a hard time. But maybe a question mark is, what happens when somebody is honored? What's that do inside? I don't know if I'm fired up about him being honored like that. Why didn't I get a chance? Why not me, Lord? What's that? It's pride, isn't it? And we got to kill it. Recognize it. And then he finishes up. Now you, you, me, are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. You've got to get rid of that mentality in your head that you think you don't matter. And whether you're here or not, whether you're on time or not, whether you volunteer or not, it doesn't matter. You've got to change that mentality is what Paul's saying. We need everybody. Everybody is somebody. There are no nobodies in the church. And if you feel like a nobody then you've got to identify with the why. Maybe it's your inferiority complex, which is not healthy. That is not the will of God. It is not a a super spiritual humility to say, well, I'm just nobody. Jesus died for you. Tell me how you equate that you're nobody and you're worthless and Jesus died for you. How do you equate that? It's a denial. And and this is sometimes how we can do it too. If I'm not valued here, or if I like it here, we do what we call church hop. Or group hop. Well, you know what? I don't like this group, so I'm going to leave this group. You know, there's been times where I didn't like my group either. I, I got baptized into a ministry. I got to tell you this. I got to be really honest. In 1985, I was baptized into a campus ministry that I did not want to be a part of because they were weird. Okay? Literally, you know, we make fun of the geeks with the glasses and the, and the pin, pin protector, you know, the pencil and pin protector. There was literally a guy in our ministry that had a pin and a, and a pencil protector pocket. It's totally practical. I said, hey, you want to go play basketball? No. Let's go hang out. Let's go work out. Let's go to the gym. Let's go, let's go do something. I got to study. Okay. And he just, he was not sociably, and he'd say weird things. I, I'd have a hard time. He's my brother. And we go to, you know, and I would hang out with some cooler people, right? So we go to the cafeteria together, right? And you guys have seen the Big Bang, the Big Bang, uh, you know. Geeks say the, the socially awkward things. So him and I, he's my brother, and I go, all right, let's go to the cafeteria together, all right? We'll eat together. And, and I'd have my friends over here and say, what's up, yo? You know? 
and, and, and we would go over and sit with them and we're sitting at the table and we're having fun and joking around and it's all, you know, it's all clean and good, but he comes up with this comment. I'm like, really? Did you just say that? I did not want to be a part because it wasn't, it wasn't a cool ministry. But I said, this is where, and my brother-in-law helped me out with this. He said, this is where God put you. Do something about it. So I made it, I made it my goal because I want to convert more people, help more people come to Christ who are like me. And he needs to help more people that come to Christ who are like him. And together, guess what we will form? One body. And our love for each other will give glory to God because no, there's no explanation why him and I should be friends. None. And we were. We worked through that. But see, th this kind of jumping around here is a consumer mentality. It's what I want. It's what I want. Not what God wants. It's what I want. I got my shopping bag. It's what I need. It's what I want. You don't know what you need. God knows what you need. And that's why I'm so thankful. So I want us to say this together as the body of Christ, but do not say it if you don't mean it. Okay? But look to the person to your right, if you're a member of this church, okay, and say, I need you. Not, I need you. And then say it back. Reciprocate it. I need you. All right. That's, that's good. Too many other words. Okay, now say this to each other. Okay, now this takes a little humility, but you need me. Now, which is easier to say? Which is easier to say? You need me, right? You need me. All right, now, here's the thing about the body of Christ. Here's the thing. This is huge. I need you, and I'm going to say it. I need you. You need me. And we, we, let me just say it, we need God. You can say that all together. We need God. I, listen, I, I would not be in the church if I didn't have this last big, in a big, 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 big way. In fact, one of the reasons why I want you guys to know why I'm a minister is because I need God a lot. If I wasn't a leader and I wasn't a all in with ministry, I don't know how good I would do spiritually. See, because I need it all the time, 24-7, because if I do it once a week or twice a week, something could get sideways with my wife and I. I can become more like that old guy that I used to be unspiritual and, and all focused on the external and, and, and money and all that stuff, and I could lose my way I need God all the time, all the time. Look at what the Hebrew writer says here. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We got to figure out how we're going to get each other where? 
What if I were to tell you that this is going to be your last week? Are you ready? And one of the reasons why we need to come to church, why we need to go to small group, why we need to be at everything we can, why we need to have our times with God, why do we need it? Because we need to get ready. We don't know when it's going to happen. You say, well, you're older, young, it doesn't matter. Death doesn't discriminate. And you want to be ready. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I got to say this. I'm really glad that our teachers showed up this morning for our children's classes. Really glad. And they showed up at about 840. Really glad they did because our kids need them. What if they didn't show up? Who are you going to leave your children with? What if the band didn't show up? She said, no, no, I'm not feeling it today. Like some of you say that. You're not sick. There's not a problem. You just don't feel like it. And you think, well, what difference does it make whether if I'm late? If you need, if you need the body of Christ, when will you get here? Early. Hey, listen, when I need something and I go to the DMV and I need something, guess when I get there? Early. I get there early. I make an appointment and I get there early because I don't want to miss the appointment. I get nervous. Okay, anytime you want to get tickets to a show, when do you get there to buy the tickets? Early. If you want to get a good seat at the ball game, when do you get there? Because you want it, you need it. But if you don't want it and you don't need it, guess when you show up? And guess how often you show up? You take it for granted because you know what's going to happen. Let me tell you about church. Church, you don't know what's going to happen and you need to expect the unpredictable. What's God going to do today? What are they going to throw into the audience today? What story are you going to hear from one of your brothers and sisters who's going through a time? What are you going to hear We need to do it. And and let's not get in any bad habits of a superiority complex or complex or inferiority uh, complexes. And the day is approaching. So if you need to be here, when are you going to get here and how often? I mean, kid, I, I need to be here, guys. Yes, it's my job, but I need to be here. I got to be at church because I'm a mess. You need me. Will I not show up if you need me? I'm just going to, hey, he needs me. I know he needs me, but I'm not going to show up. No, you wouldn't do that. And if you need God, then you're going to be there. And here's something we've got to understand. Whatever you've learned that has helped you grow, change, be inspired, share that with me. Share that with each other. Share what you're learning. Share what's working. Help the people that are hurting You know who they are. Go up to them and say, bro, there's more out there. I know your marriage is hurting right now, but I know there's more out there for you. My marriage wasn't good a long time ago, and God has changed it. you got to share that. Whatever's got you inspired, whatever God is doing, share that. And then let's wrap it up. I want to read you a, a, a story here, guys. 
I don't typically share stories from Reader's Digest, but this one kind of knocked my socks off. For years, and this is what I hope God can do in our church more and more. For years, Greg Thomas would sit on the very steps and pray that when he walked his dog along the country lanes in rural Minnesota, but on May 2009, he learned that his searing headaches, earaches, and jaw aches had plagued him for the past year that were due to an inoperable head and neck cancer. It had progressed so far that the doctor told Greg, told Greg's family to start planning his funeral. I was sitting in the church one evening, pouring out my heart to God, Greg said, and I kept looking at the building and the shape it was in. I said, before I leave this earth, Lord, I'd like to do something for you. Greg decided that that something was to fix the peeling paint and the leaking roof and the mangled steps and the rotting floorboards. He approached the church association with a deal. He said he would completely repair the building under one condition, that I have a key to the front door so that I can go at any time I want to worship. He warned that it would be slow going, that he had just gone through three rounds of chemotherapy along with 40 sessions of radiation and had lost 66 pounds. They said yes anyway. Incredibly, as Greg scraped the paint and replaced the boards, he felt himself growing stronger every day. The more he worked on the church, the better he felt. He didn't even need a strong prescription pain meds that his doctor had given him. My oncologist was blown away. Greg said, she said, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. As Greg continued rehabilitating, re, re, rehabilit, to re, rehabilitate the church, the medical scans revealed something startling was happening. His tumors were shrinking. Four years later, and 23 days after Greg's diagnosis, the doctors were able to remove his feeding tube, the one that they had said would, he would have for the rest of his life, and he ate solid food again. Today, Greg's tumors are gone. He's considered officially in remission and no longer needs follow-up tests. And the church, after five years of Greg's labor and love, he has restored to its former glory, too. Greg finished the main project this past summer, and he will probably always be involved in the maintenance of its beauty. He still wants to replace some of the windows, for example. Greg has his third annual open house there near Christmas, inviting everyone to the entire community. While I was restoring the church, Greg says, God was restoring me. What, what project are you going to do for God? And it shouldn't have to take a life-threatening disease to get us to, to our knees where we say, you know what, i got to do something for God. He's already done something for us. He's already done this. Look at what he, Paul says as he remembers. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my what? Body. This is my body. He's symbolizing. He's taking the bread just like this, okay, just like this. He said, this is my body. And guess what? This is my body. You are my body, but this, this is my body. And what did he do with it? 
He broke it. He broke it. He ripped it in half. And there were 12 of them there. How many times did he have to rip it apart? A lot of times. It was a visual illustration of what Jesus was willing to go through for who? For us, for his body, together and individually. He ripped himself apart for us. What should we be willing to do for him? Be inconvenienced? Be uncomfortable? Maybe be discriminated against? Think about it. What's causing your separation in your relationships? What's causing you to pull back? And then he took the cup. We're not going to read it, but he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Drink it. Internalize it. I'm giving it to you as the blood of a new covenant. Seal a covenant between you and I that you and I together, I'm never going to leave you. I will never, ever, ever pull back in our relationship. I will always be there with you. I will forgive you again and again and again as many times as it takes. I will never forsake you. What do you do with that? See, and I understand, guys. Listen, we get inundated with our problems and our world and the mentality, but it doesn't excuse this. It doesn't excuse this. How can we forsake this? How do we not give our best for him, what he went through? And the cross equals love. The cross equals love. What do you do when you love somebody? You give to them. You care for them. You, you show concern for them. Look at what, Pete, what and we're going to wrap it up here, I promise. Look at what Jesus did when he restored Simon, the apostle, after a terrible failure. Terrible, terrible failure. He denied him three times. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? My question is, do you love him? Do you love him? More than these. What are these? What are these? Anything out there that's going to pull you away from God. Anything. For Peter, at this time, it was fishing. His career. His old life. Do you love me more than these? And he said, absolutely, Lord. You know that I love you. Okay, so how am I going to show that I love you? Feed my lambs. I got to tell you guys, we got a need right now. Our teen ministry needs people to help lead the teen ministry. They had a vent Friday night. They had nobody to help. No teen workers, nobody to help the teens. It was just Mike and Ayumi providing for our kids. And they are doing a phenomenal job, but they're doing it by themselves. They're doing it by themselves. Tell me there's nobody in here that can't sign up and say, you know what, Mike, can I just talk? What does it entail? What does it mean? I started out as a teen worker, teen leader. That's where I got my start. It was awesome. I didn't want it. 
I got challenged. But let me tell you, once I did it, prepared me for leadership and to pour my heart out. Feed my lambs. Who are the lambs? We got a rotation of children's ministry coming up. There's all kinds of things. There's things that you guys can do. You got, some of you guys can lead groups. I don't want to lead a group. Well, then, you know what? Let's just take it back to this. What is this, what is this equal in your life? God loves you so much. He'll do anything for you. He's going to provide for you, take care of you. Will you love him in return? And not just will you love him, will you love his lambs? We've got to take care of each other, brothers and sisters. Caring for the body of Christ is how we express our love for our Savior. You're worried about the church. Well, so am I. But can we do something about it instead of worrying it? Can you help? Yes. And some of you are, and I thank you for that. But I want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, let's come together for Jesus. Two weeks from now is Easter. Easter is a celebration that the world stops. The world stops and goes, wait, something significant happened here. Yeah, our Savior, my Savior who saved my life. He rose from the dead, and so did I on that day. I rose from the dead because I used to be, and now I'm somebody different. That's what happened on Easter. And we need to tell people about it. And there are many lambs out there that they haven't been brought into the pen yet. Let's bring them in. Let's help them. So... That's it. I hope this week, I hope that you can kill your pride and identify what it is. And I've got a whole list, but I didn't have time to go through it. But volunteering, uh, joyfully sacrificing and getting out and talking to other people out there and sharing your faith, getting back to being a vibrant church. Let's do this. The only thing that's keeping us from being that and doing that is what? Pride. Plain and simple. It disguises itself, and if you're a guest here today, I hope that you enjoy it overhearing our conversation. But we are a true family. We, we talk honestly with each other, and if you have any feedback from me, if you've got a complaint, you've got an ax to grind, welcome. Okay, I'd love to talk to you. Love so we can figure out a way to do this better. Let's pray, and you'll be dismissed. We have our Latin service coming up, so I'm going to ask if all of you can take your fellowship into the foyer so they can get ready. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the beautiful thing that you've done in bringing us together. God, some of us have had so many years together, so many experiences. Some were great. Some were not so great. Some were painful. God, we ask you to heal us and help us so we can be a unified, functioning, thriving body to fulfill the plan that you have for us, God whether we've got a superiority complex or an inferiority complex, help us, God, to root out our pride so we can, in great humility, serve you. And God, we ask for miracles, signs, and wonders in your church. We ask you to unleash your power on this church, Father, through your Holy Spirit, because he's still here on earth. And we ask you, God, to take us to another level. Please, so we can show the world 
how much you love each and every one of us and every one of them. Thank you. We love you. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful afternoon.